We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. Before we dive in, I want to give a special shout out to a few people who left us some really amazing, incredible reviews. And I just want to say, leave a review and I will shout you out on this podcast because reviews help us so much. So the first is from M. Schaefer 48 The subject is Therapy Hug. Okay, I already love this review. And um, I, I will read it all, but it really meant so much to me. And you talked about um, bringing empathy to the lives of people that isn't always easy, but always makes you a little more forgiving in the world. And that means a lot to me because I struggle a lot with forgiveness. So the fact that you're getting that from this podcast means the world. Um, there's another review from username Comb 2.0, and the subject line is exactly what I needed. And they said the podcast came to them in pandemic, and it's, they said it's funny and great, but also really excellent insights on what red flags and green flags are when people tell you about themselves and um, and that their favorite part is when someone can't make themselves likable in a book they're writing about themselves. Also, one of my favorite things, and that review meant so much. And um, they also thanked me for sharing some of my intimate stuff, which always makes me feel uh, so good and like empowered to keep going. And then um, another review I'll give a shout out to is uh, Music001, subject line, Amazing. And um, they called this podcast perfect, y'all. And um, HB Smith won one. They said love and that they listened to the entire back catalog. Thank you to everyone for leaving a review because it's what puts our, gets our podcast like featured and noticed and as an independent podcast means a lot. All right, uh, leave a review if you want a shout out and let's dive in. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. 
This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Now this week, we are book clubbing, storytelling by Tori Spelling. And if you are born having a memoir title that great, legally, you gotta write it. I mean, she had to. Storytelling by Tori Spelling. It's it's just, you just switch one letter. It's genius. The memoir was destiny. Published in 2008, it is one of many memoirs that she has gone on to write. Um, it gets into her family, 90210, her massive Hollywood wedding to her first husband, and then a year later, an affair and marriage to Dean McDermott, which was all over the tabloids. And then they went on to create the reality show Tori and Dean in Love. That's I N N Love, as in a B and B. Uh, hence the tagline. I think it's a B&B or bust. So that is now what you're going to hear a clip from to set the stage for the pod. Oxygen's favorite couple is back. And sweet B&B. And it's a family affair. See, see your mama. She's crazy. <laughs> They're headed back to the B&B. It's really scary to think about running the business again. Money, 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 money to everybody. There's a mouse in the tub and the pool. Okay, joining me today, getting into everything Tori Spelling, is my amazing guest, June Diane Raphael. Hi, how are you? Chelsea, I couldn't, I honestly, this was, this is just what the doctor ordered. This time with you, this book, this time with this book. It's just, um, this was right up my alley. I can't wait to, I can't wait to get in. I have to tell you, I couldn't agree more, and I was never going to do this book, <laughs> and I am so thrilled that I did. Um, I want to uh, talk about your bio real quick. Um, you know, June, really from everything, actress, comedian, screenwriter, icon. Uh, you know her from Grace and Frankie, Big Mouth, Black Monday, and my personal favorite, Bride Wars, which she wrote with Casey Wilson and I was like obsessed with this movie and you guys and I remember seeing pictures of you on set and like crying as if I was there. She also co-hosts the very popular podcast How Did This Get Made alongside her husband and previous celebrity book club guest Paul Shear. Okay, that's it. That's your bio. What do you think? <laughs> I was impressed. I Yeah, I didn't even mention a thousand of your other No, I, and I love that you um I love that you saw pictures of us on the set of Bride Wars, and I love that you love Bride Wars. I mean, I love Bride Wars, too. Yeah, well, I I mean, okay, this gets us into the story. I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. Do you, do you by chance, remember this? Most people don't. Don't worry. Okay, I don't. I don't. Yeah, no, that's Because I actually thought our first fair. meeting was at David Cast's 40th birthday. Oh, that, that that was our first meeting. Oh, okay. So um, then I do Yeah. Okay. So then I do remember that. Yes. We sat across from each other yes. at a very lovely dinner, an amazing party. Um, and then I feel like I really, really met you at Casey's Christmas party. Yes. And you were in like the most beautiful, like black ensemble. It was like a corset tuxedo. Oh yes, but, yes, yes. But scandalous. I mean, it was incredible. I like a sexy holiday look. I do as well. I really, I really, and I was afraid of the party. So I came in like a big sweater because I was like, I just don't know I the vibe. I remember what you were wearing. You were wearing a white, like a white sweater, weren't you? That's right. Yes. That's right. I was. Yeah. It, that was um, my 2019 holiday sweater. Yes, yes. The red lip. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I remember we talked in the kitchen yep. and I was like, oh. I love her. Um, but long before that, I was huge fans of you and Casey's. I watched you at UCB oh, and wow. uh, followed all of your work. And yeah, I cheered for Bride, Bride Wars. And, and I, I really appreciate it. that because, you know, 
for a long time, and it still happens, people get confused now and like a friend will tell, introduce me to another friend and be like, oh yeah, they, they wrote, you know, they wrote Bridesmaids. And then- <laughs> And then I have to like really live through that moment of like, no, not the cultural like touchstone of a generation, like not that movie, a different one that came a couple years before. Yeah, I actually do feel is underrated, but you know, a different it is it is a different movie, you know, without that didn't like necessarily define female comedy moving forward. But should have. Well, and if you rewatch it, I think you'll see that. Thank you, Chelsea. Um, but I, so I, I really always have a soft spot in my heart for people who've seen Bride Wars and have a fondness for it. So thank oh. you. Yes, I I recently rewatched. Um, <laughs> it's okay, always so on June. a dry bar. <laughs> is it, it really? It is always on a dry bar. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what kind of licensing fees they've they've paid, (laughs) but like any dry bar across the nation is playing Bride Wars. That's hilarious. Good for them. Um, Okay, so June, I feel like it's been just a long time coming to have you on this podcast. Tell me, what made you choose Tori Spelling's book? You know what's so interesting and sad? I... I've been at a time in my life in this it's like chapter of my life where with smaller children it was really hard to read a book and I love reading. Yeah. And it but I've just turned back to it. Like I can now read a book during the day. I can now read a book during hour during waking hours where it doesn't immediately yeah. put me to sleep and like I'm just I I'm in a new stage. And so I've been really enjoying reading. And when I looked down, when I was looking at all of the, that list of memoirs, as Chris Jenner would say. Yes, memoir. Memoir. Um, I, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for her. Oh, I love that. And I think, you know, I think I watched Tori and Dean in love at a very dark time in my life. And you know when you're just like, you've turned to reality TV to like yes. literally let the hours go by? Like, I just need something to fill time and space. Yes, yes. And for some reason, like Tori and Dean. Tori was there. Tori was there for me and my time. And, and so yes. I, I was like, you know, I've heard tell of her and Candy and the dispute. I've seen some stuff on TV, though like Candy was never on tour. So it was all just like referenced very loosely, but I really was hoping to get in to and the do you wedding. Feel like I feel like I you did. got in? I feel like I did as well. I feel like I did. I feel uh, like I learned I'm, things, Chelsea, that I needed to know. I I completely agree. And when it first came back to me, it was like, June wants to do Tori Spelling. I was like, that's, I, I never would have guessed. <laughs> like if I had to have guessed, like I wasn't going to point to Tori. And I I had known about this book and was like hard pass. And sure, I sure. read it in a day. It went I loved down. it. You went I was down like, quite I can't easy. believe I almost never had this in my brain. I'm so glad you um, feel that way. Cause I was like, I'm going to have to come on here and really defend this piece. You may still okay, have to and, do and I'm ready. That, but and I'm ready. I, I, I can't I enjoyed the ride. So okay, first off, I want to shout out her ghostwriter collaborator is Hillary Lifton, who not only have we had on this podcast, but Hillary has written Tunde Oyane's book as well as Mackenzie Phillips' book. She's a fantastic 
ghostwriter. Um, so let's jump in. Okay, so the book begins. The very first thing she talks about is that she asks her mom when she is a young child, um, like 10 or 12, if she is pretty. And her mom says, you will be when we fix that, that nose. nose. And that's the start of the book, which— And we're in. We're in, which I loved. And also, you know, I didn't know tons about Tori and I knew about the nose job. You know, like it's kind of something that's really haunting her. And surprisingly, she uh, is later really hateful about other people's noses. But you can kind of, you see it in the first page. Her mom said her nose was ugly. And then for the rest of the book, she's looking at men's noses being like, your nose is bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, she's like, Dean had a good nose. My first husband had a bad nose. And I'm like, I just don't think you should be the person doling this out. Absolutely. She's clearly internalized. I mean, to her, like, life is paid. Like, the currency is noses. You know, like, you— It's it's noses and weight. A thousand percent. And (sighs) I feel like what we don't get— is that this woman has a raging eating disorder. Like, what I completely agree. What? Like, this is a woman who is, um, who's suffering with a, a riddled with an well, eating disorder. Yes. And it's just like, she's, there's like one paragraph where she references how she does not like to eat in front of men, but she's actually a real yeah, foodie. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, sure. I, I don't blame you for any of this, but it's absurd to not um, talk about it. And, and you know, uh, it's so funny because I always, one of the things I always say on this podcast is that you can't escape your book. You just can't. Like, you could have a ghostwriter write the whole thing from a thousand miles away in one interview and like, you're going to be in your book. And Tori never talks about eating disorders. And I wrote down, you have problems with food. Major. Um, big. Major. So, uh, just before we move off of her nose, I did want yeah. I did want to talk to you about the incident with the bird. So oh, for your God. listeners, there's actually I thought it was interesting that Tori's a very well-known animal activist. That's wonderful and amazing. Um, but there are two birds in this book. Yeah. One is yeah. is killed in front of her. And a live chicken is, um, its neck is broken a foot away Over from her <laughs> body. And then I think its blood is like sort of, you know, swiped on her in some ritual she does with a, a shaman or medium. That happens later on. But the first bird incident, which I think she references as being very notorious, um, T-O-R-I, listeners, notorious. <laughs> okay, I, can I read Can I read about Please. what happened to the bird? Okay, Please. because this actually was very disturbing. And I also went into the book knowing she was an animal activist. So this is an old boyfriend, Nick, who had a bird. And the bird, I think, was called Charlie. Charlie. And that was a girl. Yeah. Okay. She said... I suspect that Nick was mean to her. I heard him screaming at her. And one time I saw him blow cigarette smoke in her face. I hate this. Poor Charlie started to rebel. Out of her cage, she'd sneak up behind you very quietly and then lunge and bite your Achilles tendon. One time, she literally chased me and my friend Jenny down the hallway, squawking and flapping. We hid in the bathroom as she hurled herself at the door for 45 minutes. It was scary and heartbreaking. 
despite the bad behavior. And then she goes on. And then what ends up happening is that she walks in one night. Charlie Bird doesn't say hello. She puts her face to the cage. And Charlie Bird grabs Tori's nose and doesn't let go. This is the most, this is the most insane story I have actually. Chelsea, like, this is the most insane. I, I, I was reading I, it. I had to go back. I was like, wait. What? <laughs> I, I wrote on the top of the page, I hate it. And at the bottom of the page, I wrote, why? <laughs> like, I, also, like, I have to say, like, Tori was like, you got to put this in the book. You got to put the Charlie Bird in the book. And like, well, but I'm like, but. <sighs> but Charlie, the reason I think why she put Charlie in the bird, Charlie the bird in the book was to dispel the rumors that she had gotten two nose jobs. Okay. So that's the craziest part is she's putting this part in the book to make it known to like set the record straight. And it's like, oh, Tori, you don't realize that what you have written makes you look so insane. Also, I have to tell you, thank you. Thank you for this. Because I was sort of walking around being like, there's just no reason on earth to talk about, to to write it the way you wrote it. I, I honestly, I think I'm a sensitive little baby because I don't like reading stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's very so, upsetting. Like, it's, yeah, and, and I'm not talking about the bird biting her nose. I'm talking about what happened to the bird. Yeah. And, well, and also, being abused. She says she's an animal rights activist, but doesn't, doesn't in the book she describes like eating meat though, right? I'm sure. Yeah, because I was just felt very like I think you save dogs, which like definitely is great work. But I don't know that that's like I I didn't. Yes, I mean a lot of birds suffered here today. Okay, okay. This is the last line that sort of closes at the chapter. She says, "When the plastic surgeon examined me, he said that if the bite had been any deeper, my nose would have come off." (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're right. That's why that's in the book. I didn't even. I didn't know. She wants to set the record straight of like, I have gotten a nose job, a nose job. The second incident was about an abused bird. It's crazy. I I can't wrap my head around. I mean, once you have one nose job, certainly we can admit to seven more. Exactly. I mean, I honestly, you know, I guess I don't, I know she came from a different time. She was very heavily bullied for that nose job, but like, Wow, 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 wow. Also, we have to say this. Um, the boyfriend at the time, his name was Nick, and his half-sister was Nicolette Sheridan of Desperate Housewives fame. <laughs> and see, who was very great about their breakup and helped Tori get free. I, I actually love there are tidbits like that that you're going to find yeah. throughout the book. There are these little yeah. kind of like celebrity um, Easter eggs that pop up. I mean, they're they're just, they're exactly what you want from it. You know, they they are. And, and I will tell you, that bird thing was my least favorite thing in the book. And we're not even talking about the chicken that's coming later. Yeah. Um, and I do, I just really couldn't move forward. It was hard. Without addressing it. And that happens on page 61. I mean, so it's early on. Like, we're with this person for quite some time. It's 276 pages in this book. So early on, it was, I had a really hard time moving forward. I... I did his will. <laughs> Although I have to say there were a couple things early on that already, like I, I was definitely, uh, you have a special place in your heart for Tori. I'm just going to say I enjoyed reading the book. I can't go that Understood. Far, but, but I, so, I mean, here, the I went out early when she said okay. that big famous mansion that you all know me living in, which is like one of the biggest Manor. houses in LA, Manor. I mean, just huge. She was like, 
you guys, he didn't move into that till I was 17. <laughs> and I was like, uh. I mean, I, you know, like, yeah. okay. And then she said the first house was only 10,000 square feet yeah. and on an acre. But an acre in L.A. Not sure. to mention, did you just say 10,000 square feet as if it was totally. not a mansion? Totally. So that's kind of where I started being like, oh, I gotcha. We were raised in a prison made of money. Uh, absolutely. And I think that that is a, it's a very hard needle to thread throughout where she wants to like really connect to us, the reader. Yes. Uh, and, yes. And really be like, I'm just like you. I have financial problems. I've chosen the wrong men. You know, a bird latched onto my nose and wouldn't let go. You know, all, all the things that happened to us I gals. had to smooth it out surgically. <laughs> like, yes, yes. No, you were so right. And that is where I was like, I wonder if this is Hillary or if this is Tori, but I wrote, she's the most likable, unlikable yeah. person in the world because she's always like, right, girl? And you're like, yeah, okay. And you're like, wait, I think, I actually think no, but like, okay, yeah. I thought something was telling where we're turning to Jenny and we're turning to her gay best friend. I can't remember his name, Mayron, many, many times. And they're weighing yes. in, but we don't know a dang thing about them. I know because I got to tell you, the whole time I was reading it is Jenny from 90210. And it's I did not, not realize it wasn't her till the very not. end. And I was like, wait a minute. Did we ever oh, well, you read go a through the book. fact that this is a different Jenny? Oh, no, totally. I was like, wow, she and her cast stayed strong. That says a lot about her. And I was like, okay, this is just a different woman who we never got an introduction to. No, and like um, that said a lot to me, though, that they, she's the type of woman who, like, she's not going to ask you a question about yourself. No. No. So to me, the most fascinating relationship in the book, like I could care less about Charlie. I could care less about Dean. I, I think I know what relationship you love. Her and her mom. It's, yeah. Oh, I was going to say nanny. Uh, well, <laughs> but it's that's both, who I'm but talking about, it's a, nanny. It's, it's yes, one and the it's same. It's essentially the same. It's one and the yes. same. You're so it's right. And I will same. say my favorite part of the book is that Tori says... You know, when people talk to me about growing up rich, the one thing I really think of is that if I hadn't been rich, I would have never had our nanny. And without, and she said, she does say nanny. She said, I wouldn't have had nanny. And without nanny, I'd be a different human. And I was like, that's a really beautiful self-aware passage. And even though there's some weird things when we talk about nanny. Yes. Um, she really, really loved her. She really loved, she really loved her. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, right? It's like, there's domestic work and there's um, like nanny doesn't, we only find out nanny's name, I think at the end of the book. Yeah, you know? and, and she does say like, oh, I called her nanny because as a child, I didn't know it wasn't her name. You're like, that definitely makes sense. But then she keeps on being like, nanny, nanny, nanny. And it's like, I think you still call her nanny. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And yeah. she couldn't, and, and that's where Tori's limitations are. Like these two people, Aaron and Candy are, super limited um, emotionally, but so is Tori. It's like, well, of course she didn't know that because look at where she came from. But yeah. And at the same time, I think the book really both completely dehumanizes Nanny and also gives us glimpses into how powerful and beautiful that relationship can be, you know, yes. and how... Um, how meaningful it was to her putting Nanny's picture in her wedding bouquet after Nanny had passed, like all of being with her, her and her brother were at her, Nanny's side when she passed away. Oh my God. And and then 
And then when um, when she goes to her funeral, they're like, oh, you're Margaret's daughter, Tori. All, and then start bringing out all the photos she had of Tori. And the, I, you're right. The depth of that relationship is beautiful. Unfortunately, we don't learn anything about Margaret. No. But we do learn lots about the relationship, which this is this was another place where I took a step back. I mean, this is this is the person Tori loves most in the world. She did not have any parents at all. The best thing that ever happened to her was Margaret. And then she describes her as heavy set. Oh and and oh I was like, God, this is the person. Yeah, I was like, that. this is the person you love most in the world? Like, well, what are you doing? I didn't and, see that. I mean, I, and, I don't think yeah. I could see that. I think it no, hurt no. Oh, 100%. I mean, like, I, I was just like, you love her. And I know wow. you think of those words as negative. And then the worst part, because, I, I mean, I thought that was the worst. I was like, you love this woman. You describe her as heavy set when you don't even describe other people's bodies. Okay. The worst part <laughs> is that there's photos of Nanny in the book. She's not heavy set at, at all. all. At, at all. In fact, I was like, oh, she's, ve- I thought to myself, she's very slender. Yes. So I was oh like, my I'm sorry. God. What happened in your oh brain? God, that's so funny. That happened. And then oh my this, God. Is, this was the other part, Rice. This is long before Charlie Bird on page 31. <laughs> These are small things. These come from reading memoirs every second of your life. She wrote about Delta Burke being on set, and she wrote the then svelte Delta I'm Burke. So I'm Chelsea. I wrote, thank bitch, you. I will kill you. I will thank kill you, you dead. Chel- How dare you thank, dishonor her? <laughs> thank you. Put some respect on her name. Thank you. I, I was like, what are you, why would that ever bear mentioning? Not to, and it's so, this is where you see her eating disorder coming out. Like she's just like constantly. Yes. I mean, yeah. the other thing I found fascinating was, and I wanted more of, was Candy's relationship with Nanny. Yes. And the, oh, and you can tell. Like, resentment and the oh. insecurities around mothering yes. and all yes. of it. And and the she said her dad would say, um, I have two wives, but we all know who the real wife is. And then he'd wink at Margaret, which is sick. It's just <laughs> sick on so many levels. And then Candy would walk around uh, being upset at Margaret. And then Tori would only want to be in Margaret's arms and never Candy's. And like, oh, everyone was set up to fail. It was horrible. And I do feel like, I mean, Aaron, Aaron Spelling gets a tiny like paragraph of a reckoning at the very end where she's like, you know, I realize now that he played a part in the dysfunction between me and my mother. But I'm like, he really does get off scot-free in this. Like he... And Candy's a piece of work. Do not get me wrong. But, like, Aaron's spelling and the sort of detachment of these people, like, not caring about their children seemingly are are on such a surface level, I found it really very, very strange. Like, weird. Very dark. Very dark. And I will say, Tori does a lot of, like, wild things in this book. And when you do remember who her parents are, I was like, yeah, like, what do you— what, I, I what really we have this sort of forgiveness towards um, Jamie Lynn Spears sometimes, too, where it's like, we know who your parents are. Your parents are people who lock children yeah. up to take all their money for years. Like, uh, how—I mean, I would like to think you can get out of bad parenting, and I— on some level, I do think you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tori maybe didn't take that chance sometimes, but she she was raised by monsters. 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 It, it, her parents never, like, it seems, did, never even congratulated her on the wedding. I mean, the story about her yeah. going over oh. 
when she announces (gasps) her engagement to her first husband and telling her parents and them, like, not saying anything. And instead talking about how Tori had, like, maybe been mean to her mom at a birthday party where Candy said, you cannot bring a birthday cake for Nanny. And Tori said, but it's Nanny's birthday. So I'm bringing a birthday cake. And Candy said, no, we're not celebrating her. And Tori, good for fucking Tori, brings the birthday cake anyway. Then her mom says, you're dead to me. Then she gets engaged and they say, um, Tori was very mean to Candy. And no congratulations on the on the engagement because she's mad about the birthday cake. And uh, it seemed to me like Nanny is the one who gave so much unconditional love and like gave everything. Um, okay, so also in the beginning of the book is this thing about Tori having these very fancy dolls and then putting around her room and how she's afraid of the dolls. I was like, nice try, but like... I love those Madame she, Alexander dolls. And and those aren't scary. I don't think they're scary dolls. But I, I, I just wasn't into like, my backstory is that my dolls terrified mm-hmm. me. I was like, you're kind of burying the lead here. Because um, I mean, it's, it's mentioned on the cover of the book. It's like, and Tori, afraid of dolls her whole life. And I'm like, that's not... That's not the story. Like, who's trying to push this? It's on, like, the inside little Oh, my God. Um, And then um, she is a sophomore in high school when she gets the role of Donna on 90210. You know, she's a 15-year-old. And I I did kind of forget my grace for that because, uh, listen— jealous little heathen over here. Whatever time in my life I heard that, I was like, I want my dad to be in Hollywood. Like, I had no no grace for it. And, um— Unfortunately, the title of that chapter is Nepotism Works Both Ways. <laughs> Which is like, uh, and that's that's the title of the book, really. Which is like, yeah. it's ultimately been so hard for me to be this Which wealthy. is what, I, I will say this. Uh, Tori's book could have maybe, I mean, because I mean, that is the headline of the book. I had it really hard. I mean, she even has lines in the book where she's like, that's my life, one disappointment after the fucking other. And you're like, I don't think you have a grasp on your life. But I had just read Carrie Fisher's book. Oh, wow. And all people say about Carrie and all you feel about her. Because this is the most talented woman yeah. alive, the kindest, yeah. most gracious, beautiful soul. You know, it's like nepotism definitely is not a prison. Yeah. Uh, and Tori seems to feel like um, she would be the most famous woman alive if only yep. her father hadn't put her on TV when she was 15 years old in a starring role that she definitely didn't deserve. And that's what's ultimately very hard about the, the overall narrative is like we— what we're not going to get to is K- Carrie Fisher level of talent and artistic offering. What we're really not seeing is someone taking what happened to them and helping others. And ultimately what she ends up doing is like, it's just so selfish. I, I That is, it's, it's very well said. And again, you guys are like, but at the top, you said you enjoyed know, it. It's a I great did. read, you guys. It. It's I a phenomenal it. I loved it. <laughs> and I really I, did. I'm Listen, mother-daughter relationships fascinate me. I had a beautiful relationship with my mom. So I'm always kind of like, I feel like the cultural understanding of mother-daughter relationships is often like very competitive, very much so like this book. Yes. yes. And I'm always like, huh, that's not how my experience of it. And I, I just, I hate that. I hate that sort of portrayal. But yeah. boy, was it real. Does it exist? <laughs> oh, it, it, yeah. Very real. And it's really a lot about, so when she does get this role in 90210, it's because that's the only way her dad knows how to show care. And so 
he puts her on the TV show. And what I found very interesting is that she essentially spends her teen to 20s growing up on the TV show 90210. It's longer it's than you think. It's like a it's, decade. It's like longer yeah. than you think. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it is long. She basically says we literally all had sex with each other. Yeah. Um, at some point, she and Brian Austin Green have this very passionate back and forth relationship, which really all I could think of was Brian Austin Green watching his ex, Megan Fox, um, drink machine gun Kelly's blood. And it's just like, where is he going to, like, I constantly am like, I know he's engaged. I'm like, what are you guys doing? But you know what I mean? Do you think he turns to his wife and he's like, get like, can I eat your liver? Like, how are they going to come back from that? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. (laughs) Well, anyways, she then touches on Shannon Doherty. She's basically like, uh, this is what I took from it. And June, you might know way more about this than me. And you guys, I didn't watch 90210. I didn't have TV growing up. I, I've never seen, I've no, never seen a glimpse. June's face right now is- I'm stunned. I know, I know. I miss a lot. Uh, wow. Yeah, so b- let me tell you my impression from the yeah. book. You tell me it was if you think I got any of this correct. It was a very important show to me. Yes, yeah. I think to everyone. Um, what I took from this was that Tori and Shannon were mean girls all throughout the set who ran that shit. And in hindsight, Tori wants to distance herself from Shannon and is portraying it as if Shannon used her, a nice, sweet, naive little girl, because Shannon was older. And uh, we all know Shannon is bad now, and she's also sort of maybe apologizing for some things she and Shannon did on set. Oh, that was my take. So, but, but in terms of the 90210 set... It's so hard to distinguish because she does also like frame herself as the kind of mean girl in high school. And I'm like, I think that you were on that set. I don't know that she was wielding her power as Aaron Spelling's daughter. I mean, oh, maybe I she- would. I'd put all of you her think own so? money on it. You think so? I would put See, the eight hundred thousand dollars that Aaron left to her when he died on that. <laughs> maybe this there's is no where way. There's around. no way that the fifteen-year-old who gets her dad to put her on television, who everyone immediately says is too ugly, too untalented, and is nepotismed in, doesn't have the amount of insecurity that would do. Insecurity leads yeah. to all toxicity. Like there's no way she didn't do weird shit, and I think she's trying to put it on Shannon. That's interesting, and I it's think, my theory. I think you have a point. I yeah, I gotta tell you, in Melissa Gilbert's memoir, she talks about how Shannon Doherty kind of stole her husband. Oh, so this is a th- a sh- Shannon's over two in memoirs. <laughs> Shannon Doherty is a stone cold like she is a lunatic. <laughs> She's an absolute yeah. lunatic. But these women, I mean, especially Jenny Garth, like they, for me, were like models of femininity and like yeah. teenhood. Like I, I just loved them so much. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure, I think that's a really interesting reading of it that the way that Tori handles certain people in the book and certain relationships with care. Yes, Yes. Like yes. Charlie. And she's, I mean, she is a woman of Hollywood. Yes. She knows who is expendable and who is not. That's she very knows true. that we have all agreed Shannon Doherty is out. If we hadn't culturally, I bet that stuff wouldn't be in the book. That's true. But then she also goes to great lengths to like protect her ex-husband Charlie's family and him to a yeah, certain degree. As she 
should. That is like, I mean, she ran through their life with a fucking track, a gold tractor. Um, uh, Yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot of stuff happens on 90210. It's kind of her high school. She's growing up. At some point, she actually says, at least I didn't have to gain the freshman 15. Oh my God. I'm so glad you grain punch every night. I'm sorry, Grain Punch? Like, who taught this? Like, I thought you were on a show about high school. Like, what is Grain Punch? Um, Or write papers. So, you know, that's kind of what she thinks she missed out on. She grows up on the show. And then she's in this relationship with Nick. You guys heard about Nick. And then as a way to get her out of it, her mom offers to buy her what sounds like— I honestly can't even picture what type of condos— like, where is it hidden in a mountain? Like, I've never seen something like what she's describing. So, you drive your car up like it's a hotel and just hand them the keys. Like, there's no parking space. The only thing I can think of, Chelsea, is like there are, I've never been in one of these buildings in LA, these residents. I, I, I've never seen an apartment like and, this. And June, we've been to some places. I, I want to say, like, June and I were out and about. Yeah, we, we're we get we are invited to parties. Seeing and we I, are being seen, you know, but I. Uh, never and we are nowhere near. <laughs> Then, sort of after 90210, her big break, in her eyes, is Scary Movie 2. And Scary Movie 2, in this book, is treated like <laughs> Gone with the Wind. so much for this, just... <laughs> But it's like... Damon Waynes and the Waynes brothers <laughs> are treated like... Um, the Cohen brothers, you know. <laughs> and it's, I mean, like, and it's funny because they are obscenely talented. I mean, uh, she's talking about it as if it's an Oscar movie <laughs> and not a raucous comedy. Now, listen, I love the scary movie. And I actually, scary movie, it wasn't two, but it was like three or four was one of the first movies I auditioned for. And I was like, Ooh. so, I did not get it, but I was like, so I loved those movies. And I just thought they were so funny. Like, I was obsessed with white chicks. I was obsessed with the Waynes brothers. So I I really, like, I did understand where she was coming from. But it is the way the story is told, which is that she gets this part. First, she doesn't think she gets it. Then she gets it. and And then she's on set and they just tell her to play. And yeah. say whatever yeah. she... And this is where yeah. another narrative starts, which is like, if I can just be me, if I can... And this is what's so hilarious about the book is that this theme arises of like, if we can just let her go, if we can just shake off like these expectations, what we are yes. going to see is going to blow our fucking minds. The, yes. the talent. Yes, yes. And uh, and you know what? Like, I'll give her some of it. Like, had Scary Movie 2 come out and you're like, um, Tori Spelling is the comedian of our generation? Like, I think we all would have been like, wow, we never saw that coming. Yes. But but what she describes is like, uh, this is a trigger warning. She's like, the ghost is raping me across the ceiling and I'm like, get it, daddy. And, and she's writing it out. And so it's like, it's just so hard. It's <laughs> Very it's just tough. so hard. It's and, very and you guys, tough. no other scenes are described. It's really only the ghost rape scene. It's the ghost. And <laughs> it's the ghost rape scene. Yeah. And she's like so proud of what she did there. And then there's like a, a pretty upsetting story about how they tried to get her to go topless. I mean, 
Tori, first off, Tori Spelling outing Harvey Weinstein in 2008 in her memoir. That's true. Yes. Thank you, Tori. So this was a, yes, a Miramax true. film. She's supposed to be topless in it. She gets cast. She's the biggest name they have because Anna Ferris hasn't broken out from the first movie yet, I guess. Um, by the way, this is according to Tori. I haven't gone back into my <laughs> scary, scary movie canon. But she um, tells them, I'm not, not only am I not going to be topless, but you're not going to use a body double because everyone's going to think it's my tits anyway. Yeah. And I'm Tori Spelling. I can't have this. And her agents get it out. But before they do, they say, we think you should call your dad and see if he thinks you should do it. And she very carefully writes about this, how she calls her dad, even though she never does this. And she says, dad, what do you think? And he says, if I know Weinstein, if you don't do this, he's going to erase you from the movie. But Tori sticks to her guns. And lo and behold, after being in almost every scene of the movie, after being so funny, they're obsessed with her. According to Tori, Chelsea. Yes. According to Tori. But also like, this is Listen, storytelling. I want to believe it. I want to believe that this this was too. Lucille Ball. You know what I mean? Like this is. I think she had me believing it. I'm like, God, I. I definitely did. I, actually, so here's what happens. She's like, I'm not going topless. Six for guns. Good for her. She's like, this is my starring moment. Everyone's gonna realize I'm an actual comedian. I'm an actual actress. I should I should be in things beyond my dad's work. This is my moment. Harvey Weinstein, that little piece little of bitch. dog shit schmuck cuts Tori Spelling out of the entire movie until it looks like it was just a cameo when she was in every single scene. To the point where, like, she's in scenes where she's standing there, and then in the next shot, when they cut back, she's, like, mysteriously gone. No explanation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really, like, tough, tough edits. Tough edits. (laughs) And, And I will say... I'm ready to carry the torch that Tori Spelling was the funniest thing we've ever seen and Weinstein robbed us of it. You know what, Chelsea? Me too. We never got to see it. <laughs> we never got to see it. And then, and here, here's the here's the tough things about Tori's book. So after this, when she was like, this was supposed to be my role, she will write things like what I'm about to read, which is... She writes the sentence, one thing I'd gotten out of Scary Movie 2, besides the feeling that my life was just a recurring lesson in disappointment, I said, you do not, oh, no. oh my God. And then later she writes, um, if only we lived in a world where hard work and dedication always got their due. There are always mitigating circumstances. For some, it's not having connections. For some, it's not having money. For some, it's not having talent. For some, it's not re- having the right look. I had, I'd been told, more or less all of the above. I just never expected my name to be the primary hurdle. I said, that's not <laughs> correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. That's, I mean, you just failed the test of your own life. That is absolutely not what's standing in your way. What was your understanding before reading this book of how she got onto 90210? That her, her, that just, uh, yeah, her, uh, her, her dad nepotismed her way onto TV. And then everyone said, please get off our TVs. She said no. And she stayed for the rest of her life. So that's interesting because my, understanding was always that she auditioned under a fake name, which she talks about. Oh, that's right. And that she Uh got the role without her dad knowing. That was always my understanding. And I was always like, I think, again, that's why I've had a sweet spot for her. Because I was like, that takes a certain level of chutzpah. And she did get the role. When I read this, to understand that the origin story was like, oh, no, her dad saw the tape and was like, yeah, that's my daughter. Tori Spelling, which of course, but growing up for some reason, I believed that she was able to do that on her own. I mean, the good old days when social media didn't exist and PR reps actually had power. Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, That part was shocking for me. I bet, I bet. Also like, yeah, that is a beautiful story that I'm sure got seeded and like, it just didn't happen in any way. At all? <laughs> so so you were like, oh, she earns this. I and she she's been it. done dirty. Yes. She's been done dirty ever since. Yes. I just, I have to hit one moment really quick, which is that. I, I say this on the podcast. There's a psychic moment in almost every memoir. I just have to really quickly say, Tori's is that weird chicken thing. And then also uh, where she like, go, it, it's it's too much. But also she is too. at some party, yeah. she describes a debonair black man. Again, only two races listed in the book, yep. her African-American nanny and this debonair black man. Like I, yeah, that's it. Just a foul beyond fouls. And then his race sort of plays into like this weird guy. She shows up at the party. It's scary. Um, it turns out to be the musician, Terrence Trent D'Arby, who at the time, she doesn't know who that is. He's like, I'm a psychic. I've been sent here to tell you that you're incredible and you're just like not on the right path. A bummer about either Terrence's psychic abilities or Tori's retelling is that it's pretty generalized. It's just sort of like, you gotta do other things. Shake things up. Shake things up. Things are in the way. Later, there's like, that's a famous musician. I checked up on him on Wikipedia. He's changed his name. He's at, he says, Terrence is dead. He's now a new spiritual being. So like, I believe it. Believe it all. And, um, 
after the dead chicken moment gets poured all over her, she says her life begins to change, which brings us to her famous wedding to Charlie and then her affair with Dean. Yes. Well, I think she's already married to Charlie when she sees Mama Leonora, whoever that woman is. But she she knows the, it's the not right. The chicken woman. The chicken woman. She knows it's not right. You're right. Um, and well, uh, poor Charlie. Did you feel bad for Charlie? I didn't know what to feel because Charlie was also... Um, I found Charlie to be a little creepy. Like he was religious. He was, right? Am I mixing up boyfriends? He was the really religious oh, no, no, one. Yeah, that yeah, was him. He had a Bible on the nightstand the first night she met him. Definitely, even for a religious man, like big red flag, like that should be in a drawer, yeah. right? <laughs> it can't be your nightstand book. So strange to be on the nightstand. Like that's it's where I was like, like, I stand with Tori. Like that is- Yeah, that, for sure. That's actually like a very- um, it's a very disturbing image to think about. It's like, why is that on the nightstand? So uh, even if you're reading it every day, like I just think there's a different yeah. place where it goes. And so I just- Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't live there. So I found him to be very um, strange. I really did. I'm like, he's- but I think that's because she wanted that. Because right, sh- this book is about how she had a, I'm going to guess- $10 million wedding to Charlie. And eight months later, left him for Dean. And then they had a bunch of reality shows together. She's got to prove to you that this was a good decision. And it really might have been. These are my favorite chapters. Mine she too. really, I mean, like, Tori aside, she really spoke to the part of you that settles with a guy you're not supposed to be with because he's nice and you've only been with shitheads. Yeah, And you talk yourself into being with him. I loved all of this. And then you meet the person you're actually supposed to be with. Yes. Just unfortunately, it means really dogging Charlie. It means really dogging Charlie and this other person's wife and child. But but it is set up like this is so not the right. She's not in the right relationship. And she's focusing on the wedding. She's not focusing on the marriage. Like it's all um, yeah. the emphasis on the wrong thing. And But Charlie, I couldn't get a picture of him. I was like, wait, he's a playwright, mm. but he's religious and wants her kind of being a homemaker or doesn't think certain things are appropriate. But he's an artist, yeah. but he also and an like and also an actor and has the same manager as her. And then also like seemed sexually really repressed. And I did feel- But also adamant, sexually adamant. Yes. Like there was just something Puritan, puritanical about him that I was freaked out by. Like I don't know what was going on with Charlie, but I do f- I sensed that it wasn't great. I Okay, but I, two moments, because I agree. I agree about all of that. I'm like, this, it's not something I would want to be with. I'm glad she's free. But there were two moments where I thought, who, uh-oh, who's storytelling okay. uh, this? Because, okay. and the two are, she kind of constantly was like, I mean, all my friends just sort of thought I would be with, like, a hot guy. You know what I mean? Because, like, I was cool in high school. And I, she'd be like, I know that's gross. And I told my friends, my friends are shallow. But everyone just sort of said it like, kind of makes sense if I was like, I'm really, I was, I was like with a hot guy and like Charlie wasn't hot. And like, so she'd be like, Charlie's nose sucks. Dean's was great. <laughs> Dean is the, the, the tall, the tall blue eyed, just the most goyish man with the just absent lips. And so those things where she was like, everyone thought I should be with a hot person. I was like, okay, I'm not, why did they think that? But whatever. Why and did then, they think that? I don't know. Because Tori's only been lambasted in the media for horrible things about her looks. Horrible. 
Yeah, people you know are I mean? neighing like, at her like she's a horse. She's a horse. That's and that's horrible. in the book. But then she's like, Charlie was too dorky to be with like a cool girl like me. So my phone and just died, but I really want to pull, pull up a picture of Charlie because he is in the book, know, you know, but he has uh, a profile shot. And I was like, I think he's kind of cute. You know what? I'm going to do it right now. Can you, uh, can you share screen, and, Chelsea? And I will share like, my screen, I have yeah. to, Oh. This is... I mean, this is... It's not what... not a bad-looking guy. It's not guy. how I imagined him at all. Didn't you picture, a, like, a, a, like, wheezing loser? Absolutely. He's... Looks I mean, like that's he's a got cute, swagger. That's a cute guy. Yeah. I mean, he definitely... He's definitely like, oh, he likes the casino. Yes, he's a little bit you more know? of a guido than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, he... Yeah. But, but I... But he's... This is a handsome man. This is a handsome man. I... But this is why I mean, like, it feels like a little self... Yeah. Hating and a little like the girl who could never get whatever popular blue-eyed boy went to fucking Harvard Westlake. Yeah. She's like, this is the ugliest man alive. And then also and and also his nose isn't good as Dean's, which is just full on said in the book. And then the other part where I felt bad for Charlie is that she said when she walked down the aisle, he clutched his heart in passion. And afterwards, her friends were like, What a dork ass bitch. And I was like, I don't know that that's the example to cite. <laughs> like, that seems like a good thing, right? Yeah, how did you want him to behave, you know? But then uh, yeah. but then he's also like, we're having sex on our wedding night. Yeah. And it's like, Which, oh, I, Charlie, like, Charlie Bird, like, <laughs> just, uh, just calm down. Like, it just uh, felt yeah. strange. Like, Charlie's Char- needs, Charlie's- Charlie Bird. <laughs> Charlie's sexual yes. needs concerned me. And we, we believe me, this book does not reveal a lot about it. It just, I just felt. It, it was concerning. And he pulled her away from a lot of parties being like, it's, it's time, time to, to have sex. sex. I got to tell you, June, and, and and I think maybe you need, I need some guidance here. As someone getting married, I sort of was under the assumption that you're supposed to have such the night of your life that you have sex in the morning. Like, a thousand is this percent still, you have sex like, in the this morning. This is 2022. Like, what are we talking about here? In sex fact, on your wedding night? You should, I actually find it concerning if you are having sex on your wedding night. Right, I do too. I'm like, what a failed, that's a failed wedding. And a wedding, like, you have the rest of your lives to be together, but and it is, a you're throwing a party. Yes. Well, okay, so she has this giant wedding in which her mom plans and pays for all of it and is just the monster of all monsters. And this is where I did feel for her, despite having money. Her mom... I know, I did too. ...changes the date of the wedding (laughs) three weeks before the wedding because paying for valet in Bel Air, because the wedding's at their big mansion house, is cheaper on July 3rd instead of July 4th. Though, let's take a second to understand that she was going to get married on July 4th. Okay, See, this is what choice. This is where there's a certain certain parts of the book really rang authentic for me because I, for a while in New York, I worked for a woman who is incredibly wealthy, and I she she had an antique store among like a million other things that she did and owned and whatever, and I would watch her drill down financially um, in the weirdest places over money. Wow, it was like. Yeah. It was so strange because I'm like, why are you? I, she would have me like on the phone with the phone services trying to pull a bill down by $10 or something crazy. Wow. Where I was like, you, I'm sitting in your office play space, which is a gigantic brownstone on the Upper East Side. Like, you what know, are, that's so, it's like, is that what makes you rich? No, because 
It, I okay. think it's a, um, I think something happens, especially to people like Candy, who have seemingly done nothing to accrue that wealth, like have yeah. offered nothing to it and haven't yeah. generated it in any way, yeah. um, that there is like this controlling piece of it. And it's also like, you know, that woman I worked for, she would also not pay her bills. On principle, she would not pay her bills. And I'd be like, and this, I promise you, she was not struggling for money. This was not somebody who was, she's still incredibly wealthy. You had your eyes on the books. You knew. It was not that she couldn't. It was that she wanted power over that money. Yes, that seems right. And and that's candy. She wants power over her daughter. She wants to play with her daughter's life, but blame it on the valet costs. But I do think that there's some, there's this type of woman in Beverly Hills who's like, my job is to kind of be the manager of the goings-on. And yes. they say, but they do treat it like it's it's a high-level CEO position. And it's yeah. really weird. You know, it's just, I've seen that personality that drills down in the fucking nitty gritty granular shit that, and that is what Candy does. It's really spooky. Really spooky Mm -hmm. and sad. And basically doesn't let Tori have the wedding she wants to have in any way. Tori says outdoors, she says inside, and she's paying for it so she gets everything she wants. And um, it's like, I have no power to exert in the world. And so you're going to see it show up here. Yes, yes. And- the two wedding details that really stood out to me are that Candy says she won't send out the invites to the wedding until Charlie signs the prenup. That was fascinating. But by forcing it like this, ends up in later invalidating the prenup because he signed it <laughs> under duress, which is one of the circumstances that undoes it. So I actually found that so funny. Um, and Charlie, fun. you get a hint that Char- Charlie undid it was that shit. So yeah. perfect. Yeah, it was he was so like so perfect. <laughs> Incredible. Also means Tori's invites didn't go out till three weeks before the wedding. Her wedding is filled with famous Hollywood people, her mom's friends. She has to cut a ton of her own friends. And then the other thing I really... The change that fees. Really, tell me about the change oh, fees. Oh, Chelsea. I forgot about them. So the, this is just like... So I was obsessed with this detail. So... So Candy changes the wedding date from July 4th to July 3rd because of the valet price surge. And so, but but Charlie's family from Massachusetts or New England or wherever they're from, they've already bought their That's tickets. That's right. They've already bought their tickets. And, and Candy's like, I'll, I'll, I'll just have my, my travel agent will deal with it. I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay for everybody to change their flights. And then his family, like, I guess, submits to the travel agent. Like, it's going to be $1,000. It's a holiday weekend. And Candy it's says- three weeks before the wedding. Candy says, I'll pay $50 per flight. That's As if it. that was a, a no change fee in history has cost less than $50. <laughs> You're right. And I will say, when stuff like that happens, I take back everything that I said about Tori. It's just like, I you know. never had a chance. I you know. never had a chance. I know. Uh, I mean, sadly, the thing that I clung to is that- um, Oh my God, the Beverly Hills Hotel. Uh, this is, you know, famed, famed hotel. I don't know if sure. this was this way for you, June, but it's like, oh my God, to get invited to the Beverly Hills Hotel. I mean, wow. Uh, something I dreamed of. Had lunch there this summer. That place can truly go fuck itself. I mean, like the salad was normal. Normal salad after all these years. <laughs> Burn in hell, Beverly Hills Hotel. I don't think the food is good. It's not. 
I was like, I would give anything to be at Olive Garden and this salad was $40. Like I was shaking with rage. The iced coffee had normal oat milk, not the fancy oat milk. It's just not, it's just the setting was, uh, uh, I could, it was nothing. It was was a park. It was a park that had chairs in it. And I just can't (laughs) believe it. Anyways, Tori was like, I must have my day after brunch at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And then she made her own sad-ass <laughs> July 4th centerpieces. <laughs> it was like little flags and like barbecue things. And I was like, and then the thing cost $10,000 and her mom won't pay it. And she's like, well, then can I pay you later? And her mom says, no, it's this huge thing. You are very like, this is just so horrible. And in the back of my head, I was like, I can't believe, I can't believe it was $10,000 to have the ugliest centerpieces at the worst event at the worst <laughs> restaurant I've ever been to. Everything in this book though, seemed to cost roughly around nine or $10,000. Nine or 10. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Nine or $10,000. I mean, that's how much it was for her bridal suites. Yes. Everything um, was like roughly we're going to drop nine or 10000 Yeah. Yes. And Tori has no money because her dad Nuts also seems to that. not know how money works. <sighs> yeah. Well, that's okay, so. so, you know, we talked about Charlie Bird and animal abuse, but there does seem to be some elder abuse going on as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's. There's a weird through line. There's a guy named Mark. I thought maybe he was related, but now I think maybe he was just a family friend or Uncle Mark. Yeah, I don't and think he was related, but he was a close family friend that they fell out with because of he had a criminal. He was, I think, indicted for racketeering or something like that. Yeah. What Was he called Uncle Mark or did I mean he, that I think up? he was called Uncle Mark, but I don't think he was a blood relative. Okay, good, because he's definitely going to end up fucking candy. And then you're just sort of thinking of them as, like, siblings the whole book, even though I think he's just, like, a random racketeer. Listen, man. he is an ominous figure to the point where at, at, at one point I was like, did Mark kill Aaron Spelling? Yes, same. <laughs> did Candy and Mark. And Tori definitely wants you to think that. So Tori famously goes to war with her mom in the press. It's also written about in the book. It's it's a great, it, they're great chapters. But Tori sort of says that Uncle Mark endears himself to each member of the family, silos them off, yeah. and begins making the family make decisions and sort of hints that the decision to only leave her and her brother $800,000 before death taxes um, is when he has billions and billions and billions is uh, Mark's and Candy's doing because they end up having an affair before he even dies, which, yeah, I guess they probably did murder him, huh? Like, that really feels clear. <laughs> I mean, I here's where what I walked away with. I'm like, did they actually murder him? I'm not sure. I do not think that they were taking great care of him. No, definitely not. And I he think was definitely they like sped wandering up around a dying process, you know. And yes. I don't feel settled with how Aaron Spelling passed in this lifetime. <laughs> like I that's really right, that's right. Don't. I'm like, and, I feel unsettled, Tori, unsettled. And they try and blame it on Tori. They say she never called him, which Tori says is not true in the book, and that he died because his daughter stopped stopped calling him. I mean, it's just clearly that's not true. Clearly, and then they refuse to um, memorialize him. Yes, and then people like walked out of the funeral because they found it so disgusting to see Candy and Uncle Mark together uh, uh, standing over Aaron's grave. <laughs> and and then, you know, Tori gets 
I, I will say, I felt very bad for Tori. And she said, you know, wouldn't you want the golden ticket? Had you been raised a rich girl where whose dad flies in snow every winter just for you and no neighborhood friends, just you, wouldn't you want the golden ticket? Like, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. crazy that that happened. And also explains why she's been on reality TV for so long. Like, Tori literally needs money. So, but here's the weird thing about Tori, because I I was thinking about the, the money and the will and all that. And to me... As a daughter who's lost her parents, whose parents have died, I'm like, I don't, and yes, it's a crazy amount of money, but the way she positions it is that she would not have to work if she had been given even 10 million, if she'd been given like 15 million of his 500 million. She wouldn't, you know, she'd be able to raise her child. And to me, and this is where I think we get a real insight into how Tori's brain works, what I would feel if this had been my situation, is like, oh, my father would be devastated to have been manipulated into not giving his daughter what he wanted to give. And that- Yeah, that's a, ni- that's a nicer take. It, it's just like, it's not, it doesn't even come up. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's not about you actually and you getting your your money. It's about the fact that if your father at one point was planning on giving this to you, it is an absolute stain on his, you know, I mean, it's 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 a horrible thing but, to do to wrestle that away from I, him. I will say, she says, she approached him long before and said, am I in the will? Because, and she says she felt bad, but she does it. He says at that point in time, it's 800K, and then says, I know you're in money trouble. She was in $200,000 worth of debt. He said, I want to give you some money. Please, please, just don't refuse it. Just take it, my gift as a father to you. Tori says, no problem, dad. He gives her five $100 bills, which for someone worth $500 billion, I mean, like, that's honestly hilarious. Like, I think he's the funniest man who ever lived. Like, that's, can you imagine? Like, she's thinking he's gonna, like, I, but I genuinely believe, Chelsea, that he had already lost his mind at that point. Yeah. Uh, there's just, it's just no other way. Or he had been, his wealth had built such a co- cocoon around him. That it, he doesn't understand currency anymore. Yeah. All. Yes. And really the whole thing is sort of set during when she leaves Charlie for Dean, which we have to get into. First, I will say she talks a lot about the show. So notorious one season, fellow um, celebrity book club memoir, Lonnie Anderson plays her mom. Incredible casting. We can't go into that. What we have to talk really about was is- really was perfect casting. Perfect casting. <laughs> is that she gets a TV movie. She said she never turned on TV movies. They made great money. She arrives on set. She'd forgotten to Google her leading man because she normally does that, but she was, I think, busy with the wedding. And um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it was. And and she sees him, and I want to I want to read what she writes. Dean came across the room. We shook hands. I've been instantly attracted to men before, but this was different. It was love at first sight. I am fully aware of how ridiculous that sounds, and I still mean it. Who believes in love at first sight? Sure, it's all very cute when you're a little girl playing princess or teenager watching John Hughes movies. Then you get older and wiser and live enough life to know that love at first sight doesn't exist except for in fairy tales. And then all of a sudden, at this moment, all my accumulated cynicism dissipated. There was such a thing as true love, I fell so hard. Then on the next page, she reveals that despite both of them being married and him having a child, they slept together the first night they ever met. Night one. Night! Night one. One. That is a day one one. cheat. I 
could not. I know. I could. Do you? <laughs> let me ask you this. You're, you're the, Night you're one. the other woman. You're, you're Jean. Well, do you feel better knowing that over the course of the month of this movie shoot, they cheated? Or do you feel better knowing, like, that man, and on hour five, they were cheating? It's such a good question. No, I think it's—listen, I I think we now know who Dean is and that this is GSMO. That Dean is, like, he is—he cannot be faithful, and this is a thousand percent who this man is. Um, I was surprised. Yes. I was surprised who Tori was. You know, that was surprising yes. to me. Yes. And I will say, I do, I love her for including all the details. God bless her. I mean, this was riveting. <laughs> I will say this. I, I, <laughs> the fact that they fucked on day one, they should both be in jail. They should both <laughs> be in prison. I will day become one. a lawyer to prosecute them both. The day man has one. a child and she knew he had a child. And she knew he had a child. A child. And then, a child. I, and a young, a young <laughs> child. And then on top of that, they go the entire month falling so far in, quotes love that at the rap party, they are openly on each other's yes, laps right. in front of the cast and crew. I mean, this is a, we're in, we're in a month. Neither of them have even given their partner the slightest whim that something is happening. She returns to her husband for days Having not told him that she's in another relationship publicly. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's very, that's accurate. And and then she's (laughs) like, yeah, I got to get out of this with Charlie the way she gets out. I mean, she's just, it's just, it's all bad. And then they're just like, and that's the thing. You can only make cheating okay if it's true, cosmic, once in a lifetime love. That's the only way they can try and ballot, they can try and make this better. And so she spends the rest of the book being like, this is the most epic love story ever told. And it's even with her trying her hardest, it was hard to believe. It was, it really was. It really was, Chelsea. And as I read more and more statements about like what what they were together and what this connection was, I was like, I know something's gone terribly wrong with them. And I don't know what it was. I'm going to find those links and I'm going to head to people.com and I'm going to get to the bottom of it because I know for certain that this has been very troubled. And of course it has been. Yes, and it has been. And I I will say this, they, you know, she just spent a million dollars on her wedding. She's got to tell her parents she's getting out of it eight months in. It's all across the tabloids. Probably, I'm going to say the worst crime in the entire book. In the entire book. And this includes Charlie Bird? What happened to Charlie This includes Bird? Charlie Bird. It includes and Charlie Aaron's Bird. potential murder? Yes, definitely worse <laughs> than the murder. Definitely. Um, Dean's wife says, okay, I need to meet you because we have a child together and I want to look you in the eyes. And the crime is that Tori, the younger woman he just cheated with, wore pigtails to this meeting. So, uh, so I would, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely I mean, right. 
I mean, can you imagine you're you're can holding a baby, you your husband imagine? of 14 years has left you, you get your shit together to say, I'm going to look her in the eyes, and this bitch shows up in pigtails? I can't believe. I mean, had she killed her, I would honestly be fighting for Dean's <laughs> wife to get out of prison. I'd dedicate my life to it. Like, I can't Me too. believe it. I can't believe it. And then Tori, this is where I'm like, I can't, I don't know if Tori's like so beautifully honest or she's like losing track of the story here, but admits that Dean's wife is like, you're in for a real show and puts doubt in her relationship, in her mind about the relationship with Dean. She writes about it. Yeah. Even though her goal to, to solely Dean's name isn't, that's not gonna come about for 20 years. Like, she is all on board with Dean. I don't even know why she included it. I think she thought we wouldn't like the other woman. Well, I think she definitely thought that, which is so interesting. You're absolutely <laughs> right, because <laughs> the pigtails, the pigtails are, well, so here's what I think about the pigtails, though, Chelsea. Like, she, I think there's a part of Tori that's, like, demented, you know? Like, there's a part of yeah, her yeah. that is... Like, she's been told she's ugly, which is terrible. She's been, you know, called these names. And so, and I think she had those pigtails in Scary Movie, too, when she was being raped by the yeah, ghost and maybe, the ceiling. maybe that's like her, you know, it's like, this is when I, was that I'm my at my best. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there was something, but I do think, like, she's a little demented. I think she's a little demented. And that was yeah, a demented and, you know, move. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? I, I got to say, I love her for including it. She said, you guys, I can't believe I did this, but I was also like, I would take this to my grave. The other thing she sure. did in that meeting, which, and the way she writes about it is so unacceptable, is she keeps on talking about how she's so terrified this woman's going to kill her. And so she brings a knife. And so we're kind of yeah. set up as the reader to believe this woman is a villain. And I'm like, this woman, it seems like has been it acknowledges that you will be spending time with her son and wants to approach you and have a conversation woman to woman. Not to mention, should anything happen at this meeting, you're the one with a knife in your purse. <laughs> this yes. is just not a smart move on all accounts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and Dean's really just like the hero. They just have to be together because of their love. The whole book ends with like, you know, look, a lot of bad things happen. Her dad's dead. Uncle Mark's around, but like she and Dean made it through despite a terrible event where they almost lose the wedding rings, but they make it through yeah. only for June. You to Google and find what now? So many things. So, I mean... Let's just say that that law enforcement officers have been called to the scene multiple times, multiple times. They, Dean, maybe, like, I think she's pregnant with her second child when Dean does the exact same thing he did to he his wife, on her. to Tori. Cheats on her. On its set of a TV movie. And I saw that season of Tori and Dean. Ooh. I watched that. So, tell, tell like, it, it was really brutal. I mean, it was brutal. Where yeah. she's like, she doesn't want him in the house. She wants him. He's there. He's trying. She's angry. I mean, it's everything. It's it, it, it's absolutely brutal. She's devastated. And you know what? After, it's, it's also, it's like, yeah, she was that public. She ran Charlie over. Des deserved or not, she ran him. She threw him and his Bible into the Charlie's ocean. sister has the best line ever when she writes her that note. I don't know if it's his sister or a friend. Someone, oh, yeah, what'd they someone say? Someone from Charlie's camp after, like, she destroys his life, writes Tori a letter and it just says, like, two lines. It's like, I spent so long 
defending you and telling people you weren't a whore. At least I don't have to defend you anymore. Such a fantastic letter. And and again, I think Tori was like, can you believe how mean his family was to me? And I was like, how well-written, witty, and perfect timing this lady in Charlie's (laughs) life is. I'm obsessed with that woman, whoever she be. Whoever she is, truly. God bless um, and God keep her. God keep her, and I'm sure that Bible that Charlie has does. And I, I mean, she. It's just uh, she and Dean. I've I've really spent a lot of time on this. They're almost absolutely divorced or not I mean, together. Okay, so and it's he has been like two years. Been in a holiday photo. So in 2020, because no. I've been I've been tracking Dean through the holiday photos. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's a good place to look because she's actively putting out. Merry Christmas from me and my family. It's just a her and a photo of all her kids. Yes. And now in 2020, she did hold up a picture of him and said he was shooting in Toronto. Or he was, it was like high but from Canada. That, but that was, um, that was debunked when he got into a fist fight with someone in LA and the cops had to be That's called. right. I think it was a hockey thing. That's yeah. right. So he wasn't gone. And then there was another Christmas photo where she had all of the stockings up with all of the kids' names. And yeah. it was Merry Christmas from all of us. And there was no Dean. So it it is. And then there's another story about how she took a, one of the kids and left the house. And then he called the cops. And I know fi- no oy, charges were oy, pressed, oy, but it oy. was like something in bad. He, something bad, like bad is going on. Also, like they are two famous people. They know what happens when the cops are called and like, God, I hope she's safe. And like, I I mean, that, it just looks so- It looks terrible. That moment with the wedding when he loses the ring and she writes about it and says he got really mad and stormed away. And it sounds like he kind of had a tantrum. Yeah. It was a flash of like, oh, that's who your man is. Like, that's not someone who in this sacred moment is going to be like- oh my gosh, like, this is crazy, but this is it, you know? And let's, like, lean into whatever this moment is. He's, like, bearing down on, like, it's not right, and get back in the Jeep because we're going to start again. It was weird. Yes. Oh, he makes her walk down the aisle again. They also, redo it. She writes, like, after all we've been through, we were going to lose the rings. It's just, like, you all need some perspective. I mean, I don't think your brain— I think your brain broken. But my, oh, my God. Like, and— I will say, like, the momentum of cheating can take you so far. It really can. I mean, they're just caught up in the whirlwind of this, like, we must be together feeling. Yeah. But it cannot take you 20 years. No, man. It it couldn't even take them two years. I don't think it could take them two years. And then throw small children in the mix. I mean, it's... It actually gives me a lot of anxiety to think about them and to think about that wearing off because they're so self-absorbed that they're just projecting all sorts of shit onto each other. I don't even know if they, they were like fucking themselves that first night. Like they don't even know what the (laughs) fuck they're doing. They don't know what the fuck they're fucking. I mean, also it's financial. Like Tori very clearly spells out, like I got to stay in TV movies. I got to stay doing reality TV because there's no money coming from me because of what happened with Candy. And so- And there's no money coming from Dean. Definitely (laughs) not. And Dean, you could could tell at the time, loved being tied to the fame. He loved that he got famous from this. And then they both get their actual, they pay their bills off of being on television shows together. And then like, I'm sure- 
when she knew she needed to leave, she didn't feel like she could because she'd written this book and she'd done those reality TV mm. shows and she, you know what I mean? Which is, which is like, oh, it's just awful. And then in the book, uh, uh, she talks about hoping her kids have good noses and are pretty and Chelsea. beautiful. And I'm just like, to be your child and one day grow up and read that and w- wonder if you met mommy's expectations. Yeah, well, I mean, and it, the apple doesn't fall too far from, you know, the candy tree because it's, she's, it, it's, it's she's really She's redoing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's, let's read, let's read the very last page. Oh, great. Um... She said, my whole life I wanted to be normal. Everybody knows there's no such thing as normal. There's no black and white definition of normal. Normal is subjective. There's only a messy, inconsistent, silly, hopeful version of how we feel most at home in our own lives. But when I think about what I have now, what I strive to reach my whole life, it's not the biggest or the best or the easiest or the prettiest or most anything. It's not the manor or the laundry closet, not the multi-million dollar inheritance or the poorhouse. It's not superstardom or unemployment. It's family and love and safety. It's bravery and hope. It's work and laughter and Perfection. It's my normal. You know, it's a beautiful ending. I wish I hadn't Googled what happened next. That's what's really hard. Now, there are more books. I mean, she's written a number of yeah. other ones. So I don't know what they cover. Um, I know. You know, it did me, yeah. It, it did leave me feeling like, you know, this is the other thing we have to remember, Chelsea. We cannot forget it. She was on TV at the age of 15, 16 years old. Like this yeah. and was married Being called and horrid. Yeah, like this person is not approaching Dean or Charlie or these people are not approaching each other with any sense of self. You know, they are. Yeah. And that's why I say they didn't know who the fuck they were fucking. <laughs> because it's like they didn't know. There's no. There's no there there. There's no there there. They're just like. Yeah. It's it in. And so. Of course, there's no fairy tale ending. Of course, there's no, because that doesn't exist. And these two people are not prepared for what the fuck life is about to present. That's very clear when this book (laughs) ends. They do not have the foundation. And And, I mean, she really is like, I did it. We did it. And life's going to be great. (sighs) It's, it, it actually left me feeling like, Sad, really sad for her. Cause I, I think about her a lot now. I know. Like me too. I Tori Spelling is not like, someone I, I need to put on, on my Google mind. alert. And tonight I She's was actually definitely like, a, like I want to check on her. I want to keep tabs. I want us to keep yeah. tabs. I don't want her to I, go. You know what? Let's do it together. <laughs> I, Somebody I, I'll, has I'll, to. to. We gotta make sure she's okay. Okay, June. We end every podcast with three questions. Okay. It's called the book till test. <laughs> <laughs> Question number one. Did the author share her truth? I think so, yes. I think so as well. I think she gave it, I think she gave it all. I think she did too. Um, yeah. Question number two. Was it entertaining to read? Yes. Completely agree. Ripped through it. Loved Ripped it. through it. Question number three, final question. Did reading this book elevate your life in some way? I mean, yes. Because I got to come on and, and see you and talk about it with you and connect. I mean, these Fully are the agree. things that sometimes it's hard to, not that it's hard to connect with people, but it's like, it's an, given a task, you know, right. it's a way in. Yeah. It's a way in. Yeah. So I will say yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I, 
always these conversations, but I will hearken back to your earlier point where there's nothing in this book that's for other people. No, no, (laughs) Which is why I'll say I I loved reading it, loved learning about her. Honestly, I'm ready to check on her, but I didn't get anything from it because I don't think there was anything in there for me to find. Yes, it wasn't meant for me. It's not for us. It wasn't meant for me, but I had a great time. I did too. And it was much... I th- I thought it was a great fast read in in a, a way that we're like you're just having a good time. I think for, for you know for those of us who who perhaps care too much about other people or find ourselves like constantly you know concerned maybe overly concerned with other people. There's something I find refreshing about characters like Tori where I'm like wow wow yeah you know? wow yeah. hats off I, I agree <laughs> I hats off absolutely like huh. June, tell people where they can find you, follow you, fall in love with you. Oh my gosh. Uh, June posts just the hottest, most gorgeous photos, the best Instagram follow. Oh wow. I appreciate that. I actually have some I have some new photos that I'm about to drop. Okay. So I'm excited for these. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah, I'm I'm at Miss June Diane on Instagram. And I like that you're unsure though. This is I, never I like know it. if because I sure I did that thing where like my Twitter's one letter off from that. So I, yeah. I genuinely yeah. don't know. But I do feel like yeah. listeners, if they wanted to head on they over there, they you. could probably they find, can find me you over there. And then yeah, if you you have to come on the deep dive, Chelsea, if if that's you know I'll you, be there in a okay, second. So, so the deep dive with Jessica St. Clair is a podcast I host that comes out every week on the Earwolf, and you can get it on iTunes and it's really fun, lovely conversation. Um, yeah. It is perfect, perfect oh, and just listening. One quick plug. Yes. Sorry because I forgot. I am going to be in a couple episodes of Phoebe Robinson's new show that <gasps> is on Everything is Trash. Everything is Trash that's in free form. So oh, I'd love I to just wait. quickly um, plug that because I just had the time of my life and I think it's really I- funny. Love that. And former guest of the podcast and friend Nicole Thurman is a writer on yes. it. So I'm I'm watching. I'm loving. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Um, June, you are such a delight. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I'll see you for the next 19 books, I guess. <laughs> That's all for this week's episode. If you enjoy the podcast and you want more episodes, we give you bonus episodes on the Patreon for what? Just a dollar a month. That's right. If you just pay a dollar a month, you get the extra Celebrity Book Club episode that drops every month. And that money goes to support the podcast, keeps us reading juicy books. There's also a $5 a month option and some higher tiers for the hardcore cookies who want to do a private book club every month. That's available on Patreon. It is linked in the show notes. We also have a Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast on Facebook. I'm always on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. That's where I recap the books and post a bunch of fun things during the week. We have our little digital book club over there. And a huge shout out to our producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. They keep the podcast popping. And we will see you guys next week for another great book.